0: I was at the point where now things were going really, really well and I'm really happy and I'm in a great place and I had a great place to live, but I still felt really empty. And that was the bizarre thing that now things are going really, really well.
1: You are now listening to The Happiness Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Casadío, a 22-year-old from Western Australia. And this is the Self-Isolation Series. For the next two weeks, I have to stay inside my house and instead of watching Netflix and scrolling through Instagram all day, I thought why not start a podcast show and why not try to commit doing a podcast episode each day for the next two weeks. Join me as I try and cover many different topics to do with lifestyle, travel, self-help, fun life anecdotes and what it means to live a purposeful life. Enjoy this podcast and let me know what you think. Thanks again. Peace. Hey guys, welcome back to the Happenance Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Casadillo. And um, today I have my second partner in crime who's in self-isolation with me. I've interviewed my dad already about heroin, his past life with that and with addiction. And we talked about the concept of it all and his kind of wisdom and bits and pieces. And now I have the other one, my mama bear, who's got a very interesting story. And just tomorrow is her birthday. Is that right?
0: Actually, do, Oh, today. when this comes yeah, out, it's yeah. today. Okay, look today, at you. You're already talking a, marketing. <laughs> t- today is a special day. Um, we're like la familia. The family. The family. We're you like, you know, the super cool uh, dad, surfy dad, and yeah. the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the little mummy who loves <laughs> to patchwork. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're quite the no, seller. So, okay. have you been right, in self isolation so far? Have you found yourself getting thoroughly amongst all of your creative projects?
0: I have loved being in self isolation. So interesting. I am an introverted extrovert, is what I've discovered over the years, and that I love time with people but I really love time on my own so it's like dad and I are in a really special time at the moment because we've had kids and foster kids and blah 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 and it was only last year in May that we were officially um, nest empty nesters for three months (laughs) (laughs) up to 30, what is it, 33 years, 34 years so yeah. Well, so, until the kids come back from travels and until inter- the kids come back from travels. so no that is good. But we're in a great place where it's great if you're here and it's great if you're not here. So <laughs> it's 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 mm. all good. So, so
1: so we're talking today. So today is your
0: 37th spiritual birthday.
1: Spiritual birthday. Spiritual
0: birthday. So this For people
1: who don't understand what that means, what does that mean?
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um my spiritual birthday is uh, an event that happened when I was twenty. Um, twenty, I was a very broken, very messed up girl with lots of very bad relationships—not even relationships, just a, a lot of a lot of baggage. But um, to get to there, I should probably start at the beginning and give a bit of a <laughs> bit of a brief overview so
1: yeah so what was life like when you were you grew up in Perth
0: okay so my as much as I as much as my memory is so um, my growing up years were in a, was in a place called Forestdale on a lake it was idyllic my um, parents was very blessed with parents that loved me I was in a family with two brothers and two sisters. Our last little brother didn't come along until I was 14, but we grew up on a lake. I was always out on a kayak, uh, went to um, Armadale Primary School and then Penrose Ladies College, went to really good schools. Um, we, we really were quite affluent in our day. My dad had a business that... Um, was just got really big. It actually got really big too quickly and then unfortunately crashed when everything went belly up.
1: So kind of like the economic Great Depression or something like that or what?
0: Well, in the 70s, there was a big building boom on and so my dad had a lot of work on and got very big very quickly but he was too spread out all over. He was from Ravensthorpe in the south to... um, Horse Creek in the north um, just had too much work on and there was a lot of stuff that went down but yeah basically the business unfortunately um, went down the gurgler and so for our life of being very well off went from being well off to um, basically my parents losing everything and at that same time there was a lot of stuff going on uh, in the marriage. It had been and mum and dad's marriage had been in a difficult place for a number of years. And
1: and how old were you when this was happening?
0: Oh, <sighs> well, you know, they, there was stuff pretty much throughout. There was definitely good times, obviously, yeah, yeah. throughout their marriage. But, um, yeah, there was stuff that happened that wasn't great from a young age. But that's their story. Yeah. Um, with me in that story, so me growing up in Forestdale, I loved Forestale. I loved being on the lake. I loved having, um, you know, making cubbies in the bush. It was my best friend Debbie Silmery, and I used to uh, make these really cool cub- cubbies from big, big, big tin. Um, you know, like what do you call them? Huge drums. But uh, anyway, we we had a great we had a great childhood. But there was also a bit of a dark side to it. Um, when, I was, uh, uh, when I was three, I had osteomelitis, which is a disease in the marrow of the bone and of my hip bone. And so I was actually in hospital for three months when I was three years of age. So I'm just kind of recapping because mm-hmm. when I, um, I had to go to counselling many years later for stuff that I was trying to work through, mm-hmm. I had to come back to this and make my peace with it.
1: Okay. So you went to counseling and what did you want to make your peace with?
0: Well, when I was 20, when I actually became a Christian, um, I was a very broken girl, as I'd mentioned before. And so I had to go back to why I had become that broken girl. So when I was three, I had this osteomyelitis, so I was in hospital for three months and in that time back then parents would only be allowed in for visiting hours like maybe an hour or two I don't I don't know exactly how it all went down but it was you you were only allowed in minimally and we we lived in Armidale which was a long way away from PMH and mum had my older sister Julie had just started grade one so I was three in a hospital my sister Linda was 15 about 15 months old so she was a toddler just walking and my mum was pregnant with uh, my brother David and I believe my dad was working away a lot at that time and so mum was on her own uh, a lot of the time with all of this happening so she was not able to um, just drop everything and come to the hospital for me like, totally understandable because she was you know and she was only young herself so I was three so mum was 23 so and and so your she mum had you when you were 20 so Mum had me when when uh, I was twenty yep she had was almost seventeen when she had my older sister, and so by the time that she's twenty four she's got four kids, so she wow. was a very a very busy young lady so um anyway, in that time because simply because of what was happening in that in that in that time period. Um, I became very distressed and took on what I understand now as to being a, a bit of a, a spirit of rejection and abandonment. And so that, that rejection and abandonment is something that has played out in my life for a very long time. And like Especially
1: because it happened when you were three. Well, three it, three yeah, the, <laughs> the
0: trigger, what happened then, but then because I was in hospital for such a long time, when, as I was growing up, um, and wanting to be approved, I was always after approval. And I, I look back now and always wanting my parents approval, always wanting, um, you know, like my friend's approval, whatever. And
1: like So what would you do to kind of get your friends or your parents approval? What kind of lengths would you go?
0: Well, growing up, um... I wanted to play with the older boys and so I allowed them sexual privileges and so there was there was stuff that started um, sexual abuse and whatever. I, I went down that road from quite a young age and allowed things that um, obviously you kids were kept well away from because yeah. of my past. I was very eagle-eyed... Um, back in those days, you know, we joke about it now that we came home when the the lights came on on the street, and you know, we had we were off doing you know whatever. But in that in that freedom, there was a lot of stuff that shouldn't have gone down too. So
1: can I ask what? How old were you when this all started?
0: Um. Well, so I was three when I was in hospital, and my earliest understanding playing doctors and nurses and things like that so doctors and nurses when I was a kid was actually exploring one another's bodies so it wasn't actually getting one another right so all that kind of stuff from a young age I grew up quite sexualized and Mm. um looking into it you know looking back my upbringing so my brothers and sisters were not like me. I was very much the black sheep from a a young age, and I was, uh, you know, I was kind of the one that was always on the outer, looking for approval, looking for this, that, and the other thing. And so as I was growing up into teenage years, it went further into um, situations with my dad's friends and that. And so it it was a. The, the sexualized behaviour went on and became became a
1: <sighs> almost like your identity, and it was expected. Or
0: yeah, it was. Um, I I wanted approval, and so I allowed them to do things to me because I wanted I wanted to um, to be a part. But see, from that, when you're open to sexualized understandings, it just opens a whole a whole area of, um, you know, I I didn't have any self-respect. You know, like as Mm. I was older, um, when I was starting my 16, 17, I allowed boys to do things that were awful and and continued on because I I didn't have any respect for myself. I didn't understand about, you know, keeping your hands to yourself and Mm. it wasn't something that was... um, you know, we didn't talk about it back yeah. in those days. It wasn't at all a, 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 something that was, you know, it was hidden. It was yeah. it was dark. It was, you know, you didn't talk about it.
1: But did you have any close friends to who were there to support you and you could talk with this about with?
0: Or no, no. It's not at all something that we spoke about back in those days. It was very much looked down upon. You were just called a slut or, you know, like it was very... Um, you know, like what you would call a skank or whatever today. So when I – like I had a bit of a safety net in that um, I did from a young age, I always loved God and I always had a real heart for God and I couldn't –
1: Was it always like Christianity or was it just the uh, idea of a higher purpose?
0: Well, I went to Sunday – no, definitely God. I went to Sunday school. So now I have – two sisters and um, two brothers, well, the one brother that went to Sunday school. So we went to Sunday school um, and when we were 13, about that age, you could decide whether you wanted to go or not none of the others continued on but I did I loved it so I always had a heart for God and always um, I knew that he loved me I knew that there was something very special in fact um, I found some of my writings when I was like 14 I've always loved to journal and you know that that was a little girl's heart that just loved God so I was in this whole other area too of, of promiscuity and sexualized behaviors but i did love god Mm. and it was like i was two different people and and in fact as time went on um i i ended up having a nervous breakdown when i was 18 and the psychiatrist said that i had an identity crisis of an identity i didn't have because i thought i was very clever that i could Wear the white flowy dress and go and sit by the river and write poetry, or I could, you know, put on the black leathers and the the studded belts and and you know smoke camel cigarettes and go to the the yeah. pub and um you know, you know working with rock and roll bands, or I could put on a, a a um you know an elegant evening dress and go out to Juliana's nightclub and smoke Dunhill and be all very la di da. So I thought I was really clever that um I had all these different Personas going on, Mm. and if somebody was to meet me in the street from a different um, part of my life, it was like they couldn't quite get because I was totally in character, should I say. I thought Mm. I was so clever that I could get so into whatever I was. Doing right. at the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I just realised I'm still doing that now. I'm the chicken lady because <laughs> <laughs> we got chickens at home. <laughs> sorry, yeah. but but at the time, um, was
1: there, sorry, just quickly, was there like a church circle in that? When so you were when
0: I was 14, I went to a, a church called the Forestfield Bible Fellowship, and it was uh, I had been going to Sunday school, as I say, all growing up and um, I was I'm very grateful to that that background and the people that I was involved with at the time but it wasn't until I was 14 that um, whether I'd heard it before but just didn't understand it but at 14 I understood um, that I needed to repent I needed to ask God for God's forgiveness and then I would become born again I would become a new creation and I remember so clearly when I was 14 that night when I first became a Christian and I knew that God had forgiven me I like I was only 14 but I had this real um, peace in my heart and I knew that God had washed me clean of and I'd been doing a lot of stuff that was really not good at the time I mean I still had the on the outside I was going to Penrose Ladies College I was you know in the hockey team I was in the choir I was singing with Jesus people singers I was doing all the stuff but I knew that there was a lot of really bad stuff wretched stuff in me but at 14 I knew that God had forgiven me and it was a wonderful wonderful moment but in that time um, I only went to the church for a short time because in understanding um, the forgiveness of sins I go home and I'm telling my parents that they need to get saved or they're going to burn in hell and they didn't actually receive right. that yeah. really well. And, and you were 14 when I you I was 14 research. at the yeah. time. And my dad was having these mammoth problems with his working situation that he was about to lose everything. Um, when I was 14, mum had had my little brother, um, Travis, um, their marriage was in a, 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 an absolute mess. so it was huge stress time. And also around that time, there was a Jim Jones thing in Guyana in Africa, which is a, a religious cult, and they all drank poison because they thought the end of the world was coming and it was something like 120 odd people died like it was a huge thing that happened so my parents were obviously very concerned about me being in a cult
1: and so they
0: just forbid me to go they're like no you're not going there anymore and I was devastated because I had finally found somewhere that was excited about being a Christian and that's not to say that my previous Sunday school Um, experience not at all putting them in a bad light it's just that my character responded to um, this new wave of um, Christianity where people were they, they called them the happy clappers because they were excited they clapped their hands whereas before it was always hymns and very um you know like highbrow quite and you'd sit quite very traditional and you'd sit quietly and so when what they call the Jesus people movement now when that came in in the 70s there was a real excitement about um, loving God and knowing God and serving God and so I was so excited about um, all of that and and being involved in the different church groups I mean back in those days I well when I was at Penrose I helped lead um inter-school Christian fellowship ISCF that was at the time um you know I I went to the the youth group in the at our church in Bunbury and would often help we would take it in turns to lead those sorts of meetings on Sundays I would go to Teach Sunday school in the morning, go into the congregational service on the Sunday morning at eleven o'clock after our Sunday school meeting there, and then catch the train to Perth to go to the Jesus People Singers for the afternoon. Then I would go 14? to I was fourteen, and then I would wow. go to Forestfield Bible Fellowship Church at night, and so get home late on a Sunday night after a full and rich day. But in those days, I absolutely loved it. It was just right. feeding my my spirit, but. Unfortunately, I was only able to do that for a short period of time because my um parents were concerned that I was involved with a cult, and so they um completely stopped shut that up. they completely shut so that when down. they
1: when your parents completely shut it off um what happened after that?
0: okay, so I was fourteen when that happened, and as I say, I was involved with a lot of different um church groups school church groups youth groups the choir, different things. Um, so I was pretty devastated at not being able to go to the Forest Field Bible Fellowship. But from going to a very traditional church and then discovering this incredible, bright, um, fully colourful – it was it's like going to 3D, so going from monochrome to total colour, high mm. definition – and so, if I wasn't allowed to go to that church, and being bearing in mind that I was also fourteen, and so I was in rebellion stage, it was like, well, if I can't go to that church, I don't want to go to any church. So I, it took me a while. It probably took me um, at least a year, or you know, two, to completely disengage from all the different involvements that I was, all the different Christian involvements. But at the end of um, year 10 um, because I'd been going to Penrose Ladies College that's when the business had, had really the bottom had come out of it and the week or two weeks before the end of school my dad said to me okay Deb for next year you can either go to a public high school we can't afford to pay for this private girls college anymore so you either get a job or go to a public high school if you want to continue your um you know your schooling and I'm like oh oh well get a job so I got a job so
1: so you stopped school at year 10
0: yeah the end of year 10 um, I uh, which is what we call third year so um, I went and got a job and basically I just got myself all dressed up on the Saturday morning and went to a Hearns in Perth and basically said to the manager that he should really you know he really needs to hire me because I'll be his best worker and he's like oh okay start Monday and okay. so that was miss full of confidence and whatever so that was when I just turned 16 and I ducked to water I absolutely loved working I loved getting dressed up I was very much the miss what was your with- role I worked in the stationery department at Aherns, and we had What's a, Hearns? a Hearns department store. So like Meyer or whatever. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, and we had the Easter eggs. So I'd started, um, you know, pretty much the beginning of the year because we had um, all the Easter eggs in our department. And as they got broken, we had to eat them. So that was one of the pluses of working in the (laughs) stationery department. But from there um, I had um, a very dear friend who had actually been doing secretarial work for my dad and she was starting a business in staff placement. And so she offered me a position as a receptionist and... um, it was RH Martin and Associates and so um, and so she offered to train me up in doing reception and Girl Friday work as it was, you know, back in the day and um, that kind of, that opened up a whole other world. So I was 16 um, at the time. So I was at, I think I was at... A Hearns for I don't know maybe four or five months I don't remember exactly but um, and then moving on to R H Martin and Associates and Roger Martin was a Frenchman that owned the um, the establishment and he also had a um, silver service uh, waitering um, school that he did next ne- the next door to where our office was in the MLC Tower it was in um, building it was the um, Forest Lodge next door. Mm-hmm. And it was silver, silver service waitering and cocktail barman, and so many a night after work, we would all trot next door to the forest lodge because the barman would be making all these cocktails, and somebody needed to drink them. Oh, so I free was free chocolate, free cocktail. Yeah, I know. Golly. So I was basically weaned into alcohol uh, into um cocktails because cocktails are you know creamy they're milkshakes with Mm. with a kick and so that's how i um i created a love for alcohol at good old the age of 16 Mm. and so from that um, I, I started going to nightclubs and, um, you know, obviously dressing up. I was very much into makeup back in those days, looked like a trout fish, my dad said, because I'd have so many colours on my eyelids. Oh, it's like and you're ready to go
1: to a festival now.
0: Very much a festival, yeah. Mm, so, okay. yeah, that, that whole... So that was 16, so 16 to 20 in that period of time, um, going into the nightclub scene, um, that that whole four year package is what I fondly call my hell years. Hell years <laughs> back yeah. now, because from that, that you know, that just going into the the alcohol on 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 a sort of kind of a bit of a prissy level on the cocktail level that went into. Um, I you know I worked with bands and we just drank neat scotch so Shivers Regal and Dimple Scotch were my um, and I remember the very first time I had a scotch on the rocks um, it was actually with my dad in the in the um, old Melbourne hotel and um, I believe I was sixteen or something at the time and I remember thinking this is disgusting but I will like this I and will do you think
1: that kind of links to the whole. Approval and uh, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. Because and also, I'm you know, I'm I'm 16, but I'm wanting to be so much older, which mm. you know many teenagers mm. want to be so much older for than sure. than what they are. But like in that whole scene, um, being set up for you know, I worked in nightclubs and the Spaghetti Western, you know, cocktail bar, and you know, just that that whole working with bands with rock and roll bands um so I worked for a company that did all the advertising and that for bands but then I would work for different bands doing their door you know like on the weekend um bands were very big in in our day and it just my whole life I was always looking for acceptance so I you know was always in not even so much relationships i would you know like it was very loose very very loose um sexually and it was all, all the time wanting approval wanting to be thought of as you know having no understand. look like there's a song looking for love in all the wrong places and desperately wanting to be loved did and, the
1: idea of having a like a not a fling, but like an actual relationship. Did that appeal to you? When oh, you were that absolutely! Age? You
0: I, I, that? I I totally thought whoever I was currently sleeping with, I thought that you know I remember my dad saying that girls give sex to get love, and boys give love to get sex. It's just you know how the world works. So I thought if if a boy was having sex with me, it's because he was making love to me. So I just thought that. He must love me somewhere, and you know, even if it was just for the night. And I just, I just, you, you know, we didn't talk about it like nowadays. Like nowadays, you can be very clear, and you know, like this whole um, what, what's that happened to me that with the sexual abuse, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Me Too movement. Me too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we didn't have anything like that, mm. you know, back in those days, and it was just um it was it was this ongoing um need and want for approval for somebody to um I remember a pastor saying to me years ago he said Debbie Lee you're just like a puppy dog you just want somebody to pat you on the head and say you're doing well and it's like you know what he's exactly right that's exactly how I was I was so desperately wanting to be approved and um but I felt so bad about my past because I'd done so much really really crappy stuff and um when uh, you know later on as a Christian when I was whenever I had the opportunity to share my story with somebody that was struggling I would always say to them listen please don't ever think that I would judge you for your background because whatever you've done I've most probably done 100 times worse so it's I would never want you to feel that I would look upon you in a bad way but I do want you to know that there's such so much a better way than what's than what you've got right now there is somebody who loves you so much without you know he just loves you he just loves you and and I think you know when I got to that point of being like I had a nervous breakdown when I was 18 went to Bali and um, I believe now looking back on it I probably have my drink spiked which caused incredible paranoia but we didn't understand things like that. Mm. Um, so are you saying you had
1: your nervous breakdown in Bali? Or?
0: Yeah so when I was 18 I worked for a company that um, did a lot of um, advertising for bands and whatever anyway they knew that I loved my job I really loved my job but I was incredibly stressed at the time and they said listen if you because I actually wanted to just um go I had a girlfriend that was in Kananara at the time and I just wanted to just sell up go just get a one-way ticket to Kananara. but Where's my, that's northern western Australia yeah way yep. up north and um my bosses knew that I loved my job and I was very good at my job um, and so they said, listen, we'll do a contra deal with a company, it was the Bali Sunset Club back in the day, um, and we'll, we'll give them free advertising and you can stay with them for two weeks so you can have some uh, chill-out time for two weeks. You just need to pay for your airfare, just have some time to rest out and then come back and we'll you know, get on with it. So it was a really cheap holiday basically to go to Bali for two weeks and just chill out by the... Um, But when I got over there, um, some really crazy things happened um, that just tipped me over the edge. And there was a couple of stuff, some situations, some Japanese businessmen were trying to um, have me as their prostitute, basically. And um, they offered through our guide lots of money if I would come and basically service them. And I'm like... Oh no, I'm not that type of girl. I mean, I certainly was dressed up like I was that type of girl, but this is at a nightclub in Bali, and I was just devastated. It's like, gosh, is that is that who I really am? Is that what I look like, or do I look like, you know, the, that type of girl? And when I got back to my room, I was um, getting undressed, taking my makeup off, and whatever. And then I realized that there'd been a guy up in the uh, window in. Uh, up high who was watching me the whole time so he was watching me getting undressed and showering and whatever and it just just kind of tipped me over the edge and I think you know I I wasn't feeling good I was probably a bit spacey at the time I had been drinking alcohol I do you know in looking back I think perhaps perhaps I did have my drink spiked Um, I, I don't know but I just became an emotional mess I was just I couldn't stop crying I was just completely completely at the end of myself i felt completely wretched that there was nothing in me of any goodness of any worth and value and i just felt like nothing i was just a piece of meat and i remember trying to drink water and i couldn't even hold the glass of water to my mouth because i was shaking so much and i just kept calling out to god saying Please, God, please help me. Please, God, send somebody to help me. And um, I don't know how I got through the night, but I did. And the first, as soon as I could wake up, I phoned my mum back in Perth. And, you know, I was just a crying mess. And poor old mum's having to um, try and get a a plane, a a ride to get me back to Perth. And um, when I came back to Perth... I was extremely um, emotional and very sensitive and I just couldn't stop crying and that's when I started going to the psychiatrist who said about me having an identity crisis of an identity Mm. I didn't have and there was stuff happening at that time Uh, and I stayed with mum for a period of time for a number of months and then as I started to feel better I just wanted to flee again so I I wanted to go I had my girlfriend that was still up in katanara so I wanted to um just get away from Perth get away from all the stuff I'd started working again and because it was still back in the in the um hotel industry I, I was actually my favorite hotel was the um, old Melbourne hotel and um anyway it was it was just I I was doing office work and whatever there but the same exactly the same situation started um happening and I remember that the manager at the time I was in the I was working I was on a typewriter back in the day as we were and he just leaned across and started fondling my breasts and I'm like you know I, I and I just didn't know what to do I like I I tensed up but I just didn't know what to do because he was my boss and I didn't understand that I could have slapped his face and said, get out of here, you blinking, you know, idiot. I didn't, because I had so little self-worth, I didn't understand how to stand up for myself because I didn't, I had allowed myself to be abused for so long that I just didn't have any self-worth, you know. So anyway, got a one-way ticket to um, Kananara, and I um, oh, had another hugely bad situation happen there that I won't go into, but I went to Kananara with um, $200 in my pocket from my last pay and I had $170 of excess luggage. <laughs> so <laughs> I arrived in Cananara with $30, which was like, you know, yeah, yeah, which was... And, and, and Kun-
1: what, did you, what what did you want... To find in
0: Cunanara? Kul- oh, it was pure escapism. I just wanted to escape from yeah. the roller coaster that was happening in Perth because all these situations kept coming up, coming up, coming up. These, um, but it was the same end result: me feeling used and abused. I'd allowed myself for that, you know, mm. that to happen. But um, so oh. running away to Kananara, So the weekend that I arrived was their big. Um, they have a big uh, festival once a year it's i can't remember was the old river festival i can't remember anyway so um I, and i got the plane was like it left at midnight or something and it was a milk run it stopped all the way you know i can't remember Mika Thara, robin it stopped all the way up so if you slept you'd miss your stop okay. <laughs> of getting off the plane so i was paranoid about missing the plane and i I I had 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 a friend who was trying to talk me out of going away and so I had spent some time with him before I had, for the couple of nights previous to me, actually going on the plane because he was trying to talk me out of going and so I hadn't had much sleep for a couple of days so I was a bit of a zombie when I arrived in Kananara. but it was just like, oh my gosh. So I saw my girlfriend and then we went for a walk around town and there's all these... Um, aborigines in full corroboree war paint come in for the festival there's all these cowboys and ringers and whatever come in from all the stations in full cowboy outfit it was like something out of a movie and it was just like it was just bizarre it was like being on a film set of all these different things and anyway we went to the tavern later on that night and this massive fight broke out and this english guy who who um, barracked for the Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> oh, get out! Broke, okay. broke a jug and and was going for it with another guy. I mean, it was. I retrieved my bag from a pool of blood. It was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this full on fight, and I just like, you know, I, I just wanted to get on a plane and come back to Perth because <laughs> it felt like. So everything that I did was in full color. Like right. everything that I I seem to attract attract drama you know in all this situation so I ended up being in in Kununurra for six weeks absolutely loved my little time there and worked as a um waitress at I think it was the George's room and um restaurant and uh um was there with my girlfriend who I'd gone to school with so school Mm. girlfriend and then we were going to be driving across to the Brisbane games for the um the Commonwealth Games mm. so that would've been in 1982 and we'd got up really early you know packed up Kelly's car she had a little yellow Corolla and um, we had all the back seat was packed up with our gear with a big pink fluffy blanket over it and a ghetto blaster you know those old um no, you wouldn't know. No, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so these old sound systems oh, okay. that yeah, 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 with all our tapes. Ghetto you blaster. Know, ghetto blaster. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so Kel drove first. We left at like four o'clock in the morning and so she had um, So you're driving So we were
1: driving from northern Western Australia, Kananara so we were going to from Brisbane.
0: Ca- yes. Yeah, so we were we went from a Kananara and so we were driving to Catherine and we had contemplated going from Catherine up to um, Darwin to check out Darwin, but we just had decided before we left that we would go to Tennant Creek and continue on to um, um, Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane. Yeah. So Kel had driven for, you know, like five hours or something. We we had stopped and we'd, we'd stopped at um, Catherine for sort of uh, late... Breakfast, morning tea, whatever. Anyway, thirty-seven kilometers out of Catherine on the way down to Tennant Creek, um, we have this massive rollover. So I'm, oh. I have a. Um, it's twenty-second of September. Gosh, the name the state comes back. So. Um, we had left well, you, the hot seat Were you driving late into the night? Or? No, no, this is um, at, um, I think it was like 11.30, 12 o'clock day So we had stopped at Catherine and just had some morning tea, lunch, whatever 37 k's out of Catherine, my turn to drive And I'd asked my girlfriend for the Vaseline for my lips Because they were very chapped, it was a very hot day and the Vaseline had kind of all exploded down the side of this jar. And I'm like, eh, yuck. So I took my attention off the road and just steered to the side of the road. And so up in the Northern Territory, Northwest, um, Northwestern and Northwest, Northern Territory, it's all um, bulldust because mm. the road trains go through. They chew up the side of the road. So there's no traction for the wheels. So I had... Um, gone to the side of the road and then realized and then tried to get back before the next white post coming up because there's Mm. white posts all down the road overcorrected and apparently we rolled it five times down the road so i am um my girlfriend kelly and you know i i to this day, I'm always pedantic about seatbelts because Kelly didn't have a seatbelt on and I was I so badly wanted to, to say to her, Kelly, please put your seatbelt on, but I didn't want her to think that I felt incompetent as a driver that she would need to be wearing a seatbelt. So that's stupid on my part for not insisting that she put... Um, the seatbelt on um has been to me all this all my life because she had um she was thrown out I think on perhaps the first roll of the car and suffered um I, I think it was fractured pelvis and that so there was a lot of stuff that I didn't actually find out till years later but um she flew up when the car finished rolling it actually landed on its wheels but of course every panel was you know smashed in and i remember trying to open the door couldn't open it so climbed out the window and i like because i did have a seatbelt on i wasn't as severely um, hurt as what kelly was but the um they just i had a lot of blood so i had a head injuries. so the mm. blood dripping down my face and they think that the ghetto blaster basically went, went between my head and the roof and that's what mushed up my head because um, when, um, so Kelly's injuries were a lot more serious than mine but hers were internal whereas mine was, um, so anyway, so I went to the side of the road, I could hear a car coming and um, waved a guy down and he's like, our gear is strewn for, you know, Hundreds of yards, mm. however long five car flips takes down the road, and he's like, "Oh, did you have a car accident?" It's like, "No, it's a movie set. What do you think?" <laughs> you know. Anyway, so um, the, and what was bizarre is that we went back to Catherine, and then we were flown by flying doctor up to um. Darwin. So the only places we got to see were Catherine and Darwin and didn't end up going over there. Yeah. So anyway, that that scenario was pretty um, significant in that once again, I was, you know, I had to get back to Perth, a mess, bleeding mess. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, I did, they had to stitch up my head and my ear was actually severed and they actually had to um, sew my ear back on. So I, Enough,
1: but like after you rolled this car, you're... You're running away from your life in Perth. You went mm-hmm. to Kalinara, and you're wanting to get out of there to go to Brisbane. And this happens. It's like life is giving you a left hook, a right hook,
0: yes, a jab, yeah. and a full cross punch, yes, yes, yes.
1: Did on your way going back to Perth, going back to I guess where it all originated from? What was what was your thoughts?
0: oh I was a mess it had only been a couple of months earlier that I'd had the nervous breakdown so um and what was very difficult is that um when I went to um Darwin um with Kelly my girlfriend that was sick I I wanted to stay there until she was ready to come back but I wasn't allowed to her mum said that she was going to stay there and whatever and that made me because from that situation I actually wasn't allowed to um have contact with her with Kelly I did write sometimes in in that hospital but once she came back to Perth that relationship was broken they her parents who were looking after her um wouldn't allow me to be friends with her again so it was like my very dear friend was no longer my very dear friend so i lost a very close friend because they blamed me completely for the accident because i was driving Mm -hmm. and their precious girl was hurt so you know like that's the the parents prerogative to Mm -hmm. you know to blame so when you came
1: back when you came back to perth yeah What did you find yourself getting up to? Were you going back to the music scene?
0: Yeah, I did. Well, initially, of course, I needed to get better, get stronger in that. Um, So that was the end of September. But um,
1: Did you find yourself going back into that spiral? uh,
0: Well, to be honest, I actually got better and started doing really well. And then I worked... Oh, I ended up living at the Mother Goose house. So Mother Goose, I thought we were going to be the next Pink Floyd <laughs> back in the day. Oh, is that a band? That's a band. Okay. That, I, I did the door for them. So um, And they were off touring around Australia. So I moved in with some friends into the Mother Goose house, um, which was in Vic Park with an incredible pool, And um, my life actually started getting really, really good. And um, I went back to work at ADCO again um and things were going very well, and th- th- my working life was actually exceptional. And I, 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 started working, and I was really enjoying life again. It happened quite quickly. I was, I'm always very, um, whatever I do, I do with my best ability. So I was straight into it, and off I went again. But um, I was. <sighs> At the point where now things were going really, really well and I'm really happy and I'm in a great place and I had a great place to live but I still felt really empty and that was the bizarre thing that now things are going really, really well but the same end result was, you know, like I I was working with bands and different things and and getting to go to some great shows and whatever back at the day so there was lots of things happening in my work life um and it was exciting it was a a really a really good time in my life socially but I still felt really empty inside and that's when um Mary McAuliffe who was my dear friend who was the um she was a graphic designer at the company that i worked for and she had often been asking me to come to church and and i said mary i am a i am a christian i'm just not as good a christian as what you are thinking that because i didn't go to church that's what the difference was and i didn't i didn't have any um you know, like Mary would say to me, Debbie Lee, do you know what God calls a girl that um, sleeps with a boyfriend that she's not married to? And I'm like, oh, here we go. What, Mary? And she said, God calls them a whore. And I'm like, ah. Wow. So I'm like, it's a bit harsh. it was, <laughs> yeah. But and he's and she says and he calls the the men a whore monger. And I'm like. It was just like so, it was like a sword to my heart. But the other side was, was that, was that I knew that that's what I was. I wasn't in any way a, a girl of any type of repute, of, of good repute in that time. But anyway, I knew that there was something in what she did. And so I asked her if I could come with her one weekend and she was... To church. To church, Yeah and she Did was you ever find very that, that comment
1: like quite judgy a bit oh I, I, like
0: it, probably but yeah. at the time i remember exactly when i remember exactly when she said it i was in the art room i can see it exactly here but i knew i already knew i was that girl i was you know i had you know i was a skank you know like that's that's i know that i was like that So when I went, um, bearing in mind that when I was 14, I actually really had a time of tasting true Christianity. And And I know that I was a Christian before then, but it was the first time that I acknowledged that I was a sinner and needed to be saved. It was the first time I had that revelation. And so on that Sunday night when I went in, it was actually a wedding at the church, and they were really excited and they were... You know, they were singing and they were so excited about this couple getting married. I mean, that never happens in a church when people are getting married. You know, people are people clapping and excited and smiling. And and so when Mary brought me in, um, lots of people coming up to say hello. And um, and Mary would say, oh, you know, this is Debbie Lee. Oh, Debbie Lee, we've been praying for you. And so it was the most amazing experience because there was all these people that I'd never seen before in my life, were telling me that they'd been praying for me, and it was just the most the weirdest thing. But anyway, they, they had. The, Did they the know wedding. you
1: beforehand?
0: No, no, they didn't know me at all. But Mary had obviously been putting prayer requests in at the church for oh, me, so praying okay. praying for Debbie Lee and yeah, yeah. whatever. And she'd spoken of me. Goodness knows what she would have spoken about. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my god! But but anyway, at the um, the wedding was absolutely wonderful. It was just really special. The, the the message was John eight, the woman getting caught in adultery. That was like you know that's that that was me. I was that woman that got caught in adultery. But at the end of the message. There was an opportunity, like if you would like to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, as your Father, to come down and we'll pray with you. And And Mary came with me and it was the most incredibly healing, beautiful, beautiful thing I felt. I literally felt like my sin was washed away. Like, obviously, I was Mm -hmm. crying copiously. (laughs) And it was just, you know, like Mary Magdalene in the Bible. I remember hearing a message about Mary Magdalene who had sinned much, and she who had sinned much loved much. And I heard a message about her a couple of weeks after I was a Christian, and it's like, yes, yes, that's me. I was Mm. that one that was... uh, But I just felt clean before God all of my wicked awful past for whatever reason that I did that I, I that I did I did do it but I acknowledged my sin before God and and God please forgive me and he totally forgave me and totally washed it away in the Bible it says that it's lost in a sea of forgetfulness that he does no longer he no longer remembers our past mm. and it was just you know that's the whole thing about being born again is the the opportunity to be fresh again that was the 27th of March 1983 and it's just like you know that that time was the beginning of a whole new life for me and it was the most beautiful beautiful time and and you know it was there was lots of young people becoming Christians in that season there was just such a time of of rejoicing and I remember going to um must have been the week after We got, um, I became a Christian. That I went to a party and we were drinking coffee and eating cake, and there was no booze, no. Smut, no, nothing. But we laughed and laughed, and we had the best time. And it was just, you know, it was a whole new understanding. You know, I got saved twenty seventh of March, and I think it was a week or two weeks afterwards. It was Easter time, and I was getting baptized. And I thought, wow, well, because I always used to go to Swanbourne, I thought that, you know, being a nudist was the way to go. Sorry, kids, whoever got that. Gene in them.
1: What nudist? What do
0: you mean? Swanbourne Nudist Beach was where I. That was my beach. So I didn't have bathers. Okay. So yeah. it was like I had to borrow bathers so that I could get baptized. You know, like oh, right. it was like okay. you know because yeah. because my my yeah. message my thought was you know before I was a Christian was like. Adam and Eve were naked, you know. That's being in our natural habitat. That's absolutely normal. And uh, to be honest, I still feel that. But for every, you know, in your own habitat, right, you're still not, my mum. <laughs> <yeah, yeah. laughs> yeah. not not out there for everybody else. Yeah. But you know, so you it, got baptized. I got baptized. Did you ever bathers. though
1: with all that momentum on the, jumping on the Christian train, with all that going on, did you ever feel the need? to go back did you ever miss your old life the parties the fiesta because i think lots of people would view going to a party and only having coffee and tea and biscuits must be pretty boring and you know
0: well at at the time so when in that build up to me getting saved i had friends that were into zen buddhisms into victorious calvinus which is survival in the 21st century there was all kinds of different faiths and whatever that everybody I had a lot of friends that were looking into all these different things but nothing nothing satisfied. So when you say did I look back I'd already examined to the much to the to the best of my ability what was going and nothing brought any lasting peace or joy. I had tried so many things in that time in that four years of what I call my hell years that when I became a Christian nothing in me wanted to go back to that you know the bible says it's like a dog going back to its vomit and that's exactly it's like that brought me so much pain and and misery and so when as a christian going to these parties and having people over and that it was such a fresh and new way. And we had we were in a very strict church, which was really, really good for me. So right from the beginning, um, my friend got saved a couple of weeks after I did and, and, you know, we poured out, like I tipped out all my dimple scotch and my shivers regal um, scotch and uh, broke all my cigarettes and actually broke all my albums and my pink Floyd, not pink Floyd, they were mother goose that I thought was going to okay. be pink Floyd. Did
1: you find it hard getting rid of, like quitting smoking?
0: No, nah, just really? did you, it overnight. Were nah. you? An,
1: were you quite a regular I was, smoker? Oh,
0: I, I, I like. I would smoke Camel at the White Sands Tavern. I would smoke Dunhill at Juliana's nightclub. That all it means was, nothing to me. I don't right, understand okay. that. So that like you was were smoking a lot. I, w- I would smoke. It was all part of the character. So it okay. was all part of. Um, you know, like menthol was, you know, cool because that's like mountains and whatever. So, I mean, menthol cigarettes, I mean, it's just such an oxymoron that, you know, you think you're in the mountains when you're smoking Alpine cigarettes. It's just okay. like bizarre. Good, good marketing. But yeah, it's totally, totally into the marketing. I like, I'm very much into marketing and so... I was into whatever I was into but as far as looking back never I just like I feel for my friends that were still doing that and after a while because as we were continuing on and God was renewing my heart renewing my mind there was so much good stuff that God was doing in my heart and life that uh, you know I felt sad for my friends that were still caught up in that situation you know and when I um
1: did you speak to them much
0: uh not not no not not really I like I, I would see them occasionally but um, to be honest a lot of them let go of me like a hot potato because this whole Christian thing I remember when I went back to work so I got saved on the Sunday go back to work on the um, and and you know it, I was a really important part of of a, a newspaper at that particular time and uh, like I'm Telling them how wonderful God is. I'm working in a rock and roll company, mm. you know, like and and my boss said to me in a really short time. He said, Deb, you know, because part of my job was going into the pubs, talking to the publicans, just um, you know, like uh, happy juice, you know, like keeping them on board with their advertising and all that sort of thing. So it's a you know like very much like I'd go out on an uh, on a night. I'd go to four pubs in a night um, and be drinking free booze with each of the publicans as a bit of a public relations right. you know, sort of thing yep. to, to keep them in because we were doing their advertising. Yep. So from doing all that, very worldly lifetime, becoming a Christian, and it's yep. like, whoa. And so my boss says to me that week, because I'm, I'm really like, what do I do now? I work in this really dark, really... atmosphere at work I mean I loved my job and I loved the people Mm -hmm. that I worked with what do I do now? Do I leave? And my boss came up to me and he said, Deb, now that you're a Christian, because they'd had a couple of other people become Christians in that time. So this is back when um, Trevor Dinsmore and John Villani from the Jets, which were a really big time band in our day, they'd become Christians. So people were very aware of what real Christianity looked like. And now she's <laughs> become one of them. So my boss said, are you going to feel comfortable doing your job or is it going to be easier for you to leave? and so I said you know what I'd actually like to leave and so yeah. that was great I was able to without any hard um, words from my boss mm. or whatever he gave me his blessing yeah. to, to well, leave well that's the
1: interesting thing though because Christians definitely have I guess you could say a misinterpretation and how lots of people when, peop- when different people preach their testimony or Christianity on people it's very almost forceful or anything like that did you kind of At that time, did you find yourself contributing to that stereotype? You Uh, just gave your life to go and you're talking to all your friends about it. I was
0: fully, fully in the light I was fully in the light so I would tell anybody that would listen how awesome God was and that God could help them and bless them and give them a new light I was completely to be honest now I'm probably pretty lukey and I don't very often do it but like the light and darkness was so from going down the toilet to being pulled into a white a, a, a white light you know, it was light and dark. So so God was incredibly gracious to me and and gave me wonderful people around me that really were a wonderful encouragement. I was in a in a great church that was it was very firm and I'm so glad they you know they did preach against TVs back in the day because there was a lot of No smart TVs. Guns, no TVs. Wow. And there was a lot of smart in that, no alcohol, no you know like no drinking, no cigarettes, you know, like no sex before marriage. They pre- Preach the clear gospel of Jesus and I'm so so glad for that there was no messy lines and I know when um, when I met your dad um, the, the, the in the beginning part of our relationship um, I'd been picked up from the train station and I put my hand he was sitting in the back a friend had picked me up from the train station and I put my hand in the back seat to get my bag and he held my hand And it was the first time he'd held my hand, touched my hand. Oh, Dad's a little player. And and it was like rockets. It was just like, oh, my gosh, he's holding my hand. And it was just incredibly beautiful, beautiful, because that had not been my experience. And so Mm -hmm. your dad's in my um, courtship,
1: Courtship. Courtship. That's an out of danger word. Oh, uh, yeah. it
0: was very, very chaste and very, very precious. And that we only kissed um not long before we got married. Oh wow. And it it was um you know, like it was a beautiful, beautiful time. And you know, we had our times you know, like in until we came to that point where we did get married. But um but meeting from
1: from dad's because I've had down the podcast, and here he shared his past, and now you with your past. Did you find when two kind of people with heavy baggage? Were there like a lot of problems in the dating kind of realm, or adapting to uh, that Christian life? Uh,
0: not like not at all in the in the dating. When Dad finally got the message that I was the one for him, and then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ours was the "I chased him until he caught me" type of relationship. Oh, uh, okay. and um, you know that's a whole other story. But um, when when he decided that, yep, yeah, I was the one for him, and uh, I'd already f- fully decided months beforehand that he was the one for me. So when he actually proposed, we were married 2 months later. Oh wow. So it was when it when it um you know when it when it happens, it was happened and and I'd been a Christian um for 2 years when we got married. Yeah. So in that time, God had done a wonderful work of healing and helped me through so many um, insecurity, lots and lots of... Like the preaching back in the day, how to be a good friend, exaggeration is lying. There were a lot like... A lot of the messages were really good life lessons, mm. and that's what I loved about them because they were really clear. Lots of marriage, le- and we had lots of church. So you know, we were we mm. were always in church, which yeah. was great. And I was I sang back up in a um, a rock and roll band. I was in the uh, drama team. I taught Sunday school. There were lots of I was fully involved, as that's what I am. Mm. But when. Um, when I met your dad and um, in Collie, <laughs> mm. it was, um, I thought, yes, he, he was the one that mm. I just really, really liked. And, and how that came about mm. was just a whole God thing mm. in yeah. itself.
1: So would you say then, because l- l- many of these listeners here mm. don't see I, I of Christianity mm-hmm. and aren't, um, don't believe in whatever they believe. What kind of things, and obviously your your way out of where you came from was mainly through God, and I understand that. But is there anything kind of, any kind of practical, practical tips or advice you would like to tell um, either like young women growing up or young guys growing up as they're trying to navigate through this whole new crazy world? Is there anything practically you would like yeah, to share?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, when when we – we didn't have much problems in our dating because we were only, you know, we were only dating for two months. Well, mm. we, we were dating for probably four months and, you know, then mm-hmm. we were married. So in our marriage years, oh, my gosh, yes, there has been many sparks and I am a redhead somewhere back there. And so the, um, I – have always had a fiery temperament so dad always says that if he wanted to marry a little mousy submissive person he would have married somebody with brown hair so you know that was (laughs) sorry joking joking that's his little he he likes he loves pressing my angry button in the early days he would be often getting me off and rolling and then he would get both barrels so all I'm saying that for is to say that it is certainly not been a perfect journey there's been a lot of stuff mm. that we've had to navigate and to be honest because of my own rejection and abandonment um, uh, issues that I've had to work through so bearing in mind that this whole thing with the sexual abuse I, I never um, acknowledged that I'd been sexually abused until um, about probably um, 10 no, 15 years ago Okay. What um, be, you just because, no, I, because I had allowed it. And so I had always seen myself, because i had allowed the abuse to happen, I didn't stop it. I didn't get up and punch somebody out and move. Mm. So it was my fault. I had no idea about grooming and all of that sort of thing. So... You know, there's a, a lot of stuff that we've had to work through um, and I was always kind of half-waiting if our um, if Dad would leave. He would just get sick of me and leave because everybody else had. You know, like mm. there was a lot of those sorts of issues that we took many years to work through, you know, in and, and obviously in, in with our kids, with our four kids, there's probably been times that I've been far too strict from um, what you think that I possibly should have been but my background was so loose it was like man i'm not having you guys go anywhere near the type of girl that i was and so i and i'm very sorry if i've you know hurt my kids in that process but it was in my heart i wanted to keep you far far away from that sort of mm-hmm. thing but one thing that i have really learned is that use your pain for somebody else's gain and that using your pain so my abandonment and rejection my my hurt my heart is is so um my heart longs to to nurture people that have been rejected and you know, and and abandon or whatever, or are are wrestling with self-worth issues, which is why being a foster mum was, you know, Mm. like that seven years of being a foster mum was such an incredibly wonderful journey because there was a season of time that I was able to seriously give back into some precious little ones' lives and just love them up to the much Mm. as our... Uh, you know ability was over the years we've had special seasons when we've had home church and that where God's just blessed me with some beautiful beautiful precious girls that I've been able to love into their lives and give them encouragement and share with them some of my journey and that so my um, the pain from my background God has turned that all around and it's it's my great joy to help and be a blessing to people and so you know things things like um you know if you're struggling with with an issue with with somebody's using you somebody's violating you you might be in an an abusive relationship and it might be abusive neglect that they never show their love and whatever it's like all all that type of thing that that um not just girls but guys obviously as well do they they try and keep their heads up for years and whatever and and I tried that. I tried to keep pulling myself up by my bootstraps to go again and then once I came to that point where I was able to give that to Jesus and say I can't do it anymore, I'm finished, there is nothing left in me and God lifted me up and God gave me a fresh new life and a fresh new hope and and here we are 37 years later mm. and I'm still his girl and I'm still fresh with the power of his love you know like I have times of of you know I have quiet times have times when I'm in you know a season of quiet but Underneath that is a heart that is always passionately in love with my wonderful God, who's blessed me so much with this new, this new life that's thirty-seven years old now, and it and it never gets old. You know, like mm. I, you get tired of, of same old, same old as anybody does. Mm. But God is always God and God is always wanting to help. And especially in this time of crisis, oh my gosh, Mm. you can bet that there will be people that have never experienced God before that will be calling out and say the God, you know, God, please help me in the same way that many of us have at different times to call out to God and he's listening and he wants to come alongside and and he wants to speak to your heart and he wants to comfort your soul. And, you know, it's... It's a crazy thing, but I know that because of I love I love my God with my whole heart, and obviously I hope that I'm going to be here at the end of this coronavirus, and I, I hope that I'm going to have many more grandkids to bounce on my knee. But you know what? I have such an assurance in my heart that should anything happen, if it's my time to go to heaven, I'll be rejoicing. And I want people, you know, like you can't go to my funeral if it's coronavirus <laughs> time. Sorry, but we're a Wear a colourful dress at home, but, you know, wear a Hawaiian shirt if you're a bloke, you know, mm. like be rejoicing for me because I'm with my God and King and, you know, yep, as much as our understanding, yep, I'm happy to be here and enjoy life for what God's got for us right now. But in the in the sweet by and by, when it's time to go, mm. I am so ready to go up with my darling, my darling, darling god who loves mm. me with his whole heart and my husband you know what i hope that he doesn't go before me either <laughs> because obviously with 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 um you know we have such a wonderful opportunity to um to share the good news of the gospel and we'll be here for as long as god thinks that it's the right time and when it's time to go up that's where we'll be going mm. so it's all good. And, and obviously I would be sad if anything happened with family and friends. I would be really sad. But do you know what? If you had called out in your time of need to God and that he would take you with him, I'll see you again. Mm. And that's the, the eternal hope. We have an eternal hope mm. in Christ our Saviour, mm. Jesus is Lord. Love you, God. <laughs> Amen. Dando.
1: All right. Well, I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway is that I think for lots of people who kind of, who have that kind of Christian faith and everything like that, it can almost be like a point of they're like almost like privileged or they're naive or something like that. But you who have been through what you've been through and felt what you have, it definitely is a testimony that there is definitely something more out there. Anyways, we're going to wrap it up there. It's been an hour and 10, 11 minutes. This is the longest podcast I've done. Thank you, Mama Bear, for being on it. Uh, Thanks, guys. Let me know what you guys reckon of this. It's been a long one. And I know that we all see differently as far as Christianity, spirituality, religion, whatever that might look like. But hopefully, uh, if you have any questions, give me a message and I can refer you to my Mama Bear because she'd be more than happy to message and have a chat. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening. If you've come all this way, you've listened. Yeah.
0: Just if anybody wants to private message me through Facebook. Go on, um, plug, on, yourself. Message, on plug yourself. On <laughs> Messenger. Go on. Deborah Lee Casadio. So <laughs> anybody wants to ask me about anything, I'm more than happy to share my faith, <laughs> share my
1: story. Exactly. Thanks for listening, guys. You've listened to the Happnets Podcast and you've just heard um, Mama Bear, Deborah Lee Casadio's testimony. I've been your host, Daniel Casadillo. Thank you for listening and stay safe. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.